time for our feature interview of episode seven and it's an absolute privilege to have on the show one of the great role models in Irish trail running at the moment Nicola Duncan from Taylor's Hill in Galway Nicola has an amazing story to tell she's the current Scottish and Irish ultra trail running champion but back in 2013 and 2014 she was the fastest Irish lady on the roads she ran an incredible one hour 12 minutes in the half marathon in Barcelona and followed that up a couple of weeks later in London with 2 hours 33 minutes and ranks her ninth overall in the Irish all-time marathon list. She thought she could go on and maybe run a 2 hours 29 but unfortunately injuries destroyed those dreams. She went off the radar for a couple of years as she rebuilt her legs, rebuilt her body and boy has she made a comeback and now she is a regular on podiums all over the UK and Ireland and she represented Ireland twice last year in the trail and world long distance mountain running championships it's an absolute privilege to have on the show nicola duncan nicola duncan you're very welcome to trail running ireland thanks owen how are you doing good to be on thank you yeah keeping well nicola keeping well um got back training this week as i was saying to renee after a couple of injury and troubles so delighted to be back running you know yourself i know that's brilliant news now delighted to hear that myself so it's good yeah, well, listen, Nicola, you've got a, an incredible story to tell and um, just a, a nice, easy one, maybe just to kick things off. Um, you've been based over in Edinburgh for That's the last right. maybe over 10 years now. So yeah. h- how did a proud Galway girl from Taylor's Hill end up in Edinburgh? It's a good question. So it'll be 17 years in October, actually. So um, I did my undergrad in Galway in financial maths and economics. Um, and I went over to Edinburgh to do a master's in actuarial science because the university Herit Watt is was worldwide renowned for their actuarial science course. So um, I'd never been to Edinburgh before um, had no never been to Scotland before. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a bit scary at the time. And I think I was there about 24 hours and I was like I love it here um, and everybody in the course was applying for jobs for the next year you know where you kind of apply for postgraduate or, um, or graduate roles rather when you're still studying so I was like oh I might as well start applying for these jobs so I'd been in Edinburgh for about four weeks and I had a job lined up for the following year when I finished the master's so yeah so it was a and here I still am yeah, and Edinburgh, it's, uh, it's been home to many running conquests over the last 17 years and so on. Yeah. I'm sure we'll touch on some of them, Nicola, now over the next 45 minutes or so. Because as I was saying, you've got this incredible running story to tell um, from a world-class international road marathon runner to a trail runner now who has been cleaning up over the trails um, in Ireland and in Scotland over the last couple of years. Um, For example, last year, 2019, you were the Irish and the Scottish ultra trail running champion. And I know from talking to you during the week that you just casually dropped in that you knocked out an easy 33 miler last weekend as you went to visit your uh, friend uh, as if it was nothing as if you were running 3k down the road Um, but before we maybe get to your trail running adventures and your trail running performances and wins 
you have this incredible road running story to tell as well. Because back in 2013, 2014, you were the hottest property on the road, Nicola, in terms of five milers, half marathons and marathons. So maybe could you tell us how you got to that level in 2013, 2014, where you went from a a novice runner to an international class marathon runner within three or four years? It's a very good question. I mean, how I got into running was kind of by accident. I've always been a tennis player. So my background was always tennis and I played at a high level. I played for Connacht um, under 18 and at senior level. Um, and when I went over to Edinburgh, the first thing I did was join a tennis club and um, I played for East Scotland, which would be the equivalent of playing for your province. Um, and then one of my friends, so I was always very fit. And on the tennis court, I had a good engine. You know, I was I was a player you never wanted to play if you were having a bad day because <laughs> I yeah. never... I never gave up. I would just run down everything. So I always had that kind of base as such. And then one of my tennis pals had a space for a 10K in Edinburgh and she couldn't do it. So she said, do you want to use my space? So I was like, yeah, why not? So I rocked up in my tennis case with shoes and I had a bright yellow hoodie. I remember it was an animal yellow hoodie. And I ran the 10K and I just sweated so much. I was dying. But I, and I broke 40 minutes. And everybody was just like, how did that happen? <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I was like, oh, I'm, I couldn't walk for a week afterwards. Um, but I, I just never thought that I was a good runner. It was quite new to me because I didn't run when I was a child. I didn't, you know, I wasn't just one of the sports I did. So I kind of had no idea that I was a good runner. Um, so I kind of, the next year, I think I did the same 10K again. It was just a bit quicker, just from experience I didn't wear the yellow hoodie <laughs> and, um, yeah. and then one of my colleagues at the time said we should do a marathon so I entered the Edinburgh marathon but I was still playing so much tennis so I didn't even really train for it properly when I look back I used to go for one run a week on a Friday after work I used to go around Arthur's seat um, probably doing maybe about up to 10 miles and then for about four weeks before the marathon I did longer runs on a Sunday um and that was it <laughs> yeah I so it, it, do you think Nicola that it was just this natural undiscovered talent that you had um and it, did you have to make a choice maybe between trying to progress your your tennis um, career because I know I think at one stage you were top five junior um in, in ireland um so uh, did you have to choose did you have to say okay i've gone as far as i can in tennis yeah and wow it looks like i have a bit of a natural talent here for running knocking out a, a sub 40 10k and um, with little or no training yeah it's a, that's a good question so it was after i had done my i'd done a few marathons and i was still take and i had just joined a club so I joined a club after I did the second marathon in 2.49 and I still wasn't training properly for it. I was still running on a Friday after work and doing a longer run on a Sunday coming up to the event and playing loads of tennis. Um, but, I, I, you know, the first marathon I did was 2.58 and then the next one was 2.49. So everybody's like, well, you should join a club. So I joined a local club, which is Portobello. 
and I just got loved it. I mean, I'd never ran with the club before, and it was so much fun. The training session, all the races they did, I turned into the racing queen. I was racing every single weekend. It was great crack. But of course, then I got injured. So um, it was after I got injured that I decided uh, I fractured my pelvis, actually. So I decided once that was kind of healed to give up tennis. <laughs> I kind okay. of felt I wasn't going to get any better at my tennis, but I f- could feel like I, I had scope to get better at my running. So that was kind of when I decided, let's just focus on running and uh, I put away my tennis rackets, which was very strange for me. Yeah, sure. a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a leap of faith in, yeah in some mm. regards you know to to leave behind your passion your childhood passion yeah to go into this new sport that you little that you knew maybe little about yeah um, but it, it was absolutely the right decision Nicola yeah. because you, you dropped down from 249 yeah. to a 236 in Amsterdam and a bit later on maybe we'll talk about London and that 233 yeah. would put you in the top 10 ranking and still is in the top 10 ranking of all time in terms of female marathon performance so maybe could you tell us about that part of your story that massive improvement from you know from 257 to 249 to a 2.36 in Amsterdam in October 2013? So, no, it's a really good question. So I was running with the running club <clears throat> from the September and I fractured my pelvis in the March and I had been hoping to do the Rome Marathon and I fractured my pelvis during a 10-mile race two weeks before the marathon. And it took us about seven weeks to figure out that it was a fractured pelvis. Um, absolute nightmare. So the physio just wasn't until I got an MRI scan. So I was hobbling about, didn't really know what was wrong with me. Very frustrating. So once we figured out that it was a, you know, a pelvic fracture, and then the thing about any stress fractures, all you can do is let them heal. Um, there's kind of, they do heal, but you just have to kind of rest. Um, so I did plenty of cross training, but I stopped trying to run because in the seven week period before we had it diagnosed, I was still trying to do runs, even though I'd probably die after about 30 seconds because it was the pain was so bad. But once I kind of let it heal, and then it, I looked at my training and I was like, right, I got a little bit, I, I realized that I was kind of doing, I just couldn't say no to anything. So if I did a training session with the club on a Monday and somebody asked me to go for a run afterwards, I would. <laughs> so yeah. I just, that was my problem. So then, I, after that, I really kind of got my training, just myself, actually. I just kind of um, did an interval session on a Tuesday. I did a tempo run every Thursday, um, had my long run on a Sunday, and then kind of three other days in the week, I kind of just did like a steady 10-miler. Um, yeah. And that seemed to really work. So by the time I came around to Amsterdam, um, I felt great. I mean, of all the marathons I've done, that's definitely my best marathon. It mightn't be my PB, but I ran it perfectly. I ran it even splits, felt great the whole way around. You know, it was fantastic. You know, obviously it was a bit hard the last few miles, but um, yeah, I felt amazing doing it. It was just, I just paced it perfectly. Yeah. Uh, and were you self-coached, Nicola, at the time, yeah. or did you have a coach? 
Yeah, self-coached at the time, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it just goes to show maybe that, I mean, there was no rocket science there, just reps on a Tuesday, tempo on a Thursday, long run at the weekend, and three other 10-mile runs. Um, so, you know, it seems that if you have the natural talent or just just the trust in it and just get the basics right, and that worked for you. Yeah, I would definitely say that. And I mean, my Sunday run that I did... I had just done a couple of times actually before Amsterdam, but I did. I continued it up to London. There was a group of guys. It was called the Harrison Park Run, um, and you could do either sixteen miles, nineteen miles, or there was a twenty mile version as well. And basically, you'd start off easy, and we'll get quicker. And then by the time we got to the last five or six miles, it was just like balls out to the end. And I mean, it was a tough run, tough run. But honestly, the improvements I made from just doing that, even just a few times, it just made you really sharp for when you were tired in a race. Um, so they were great. And that was just like a local group of guys who wasn't even with a club or anything. And they're still sure. going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you get any, say, VO2 max testing done at the time, Nicola? Um, just to try and understand where that incredible ability came from i mean is it just is it is it nature nurture all the years running around the tennis court or or did you have this just incredible natural um physical build it's it's really interesting because i I got a vo2 max test done for a friend about a year ago she was doing um a phd and one of her um things that she was studying she needed a couple of guinea pigs so she did my vo2 max and my vo2 max was i think 74 wow um, yeah. yeah so that was you know that was like you know it's 37 or whatever um um when i wasn't doing all the marathon training but it kind of yeah. showed that i did have very good lung capacity um and i, I just think i just had a good people used to say you've a good engine you know i can run and i don't really get out of breath yeah so, that that combined with just yeah. um a natural strength i think as well um you knocked out the 236 yeah. i'm sure that probably brought you to the to the to the attention of athletics ireland um yeah. from maybe an international um, point of view and running internationally for ireland yeah. was it after that that you got the call up to run in the half marathon world championships for yeah. the following march so it was actually after I did, because I think you'd mentioned before how in spring of the, that year, I did like loads of half marathons all really close together. And you're wondering about the logic of that. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you, Nicola. I yeah. might just say to the listeners, I have it here in front of me. Between yeah. February 2nd and yeah. 16th of March 2014, you knocked out four international class half marathons in Watford, Barcelona, where you are second, and Watford you won. You won in Inverness, and you won in Cyprus as well. In one hour 14, one hour 12, one hour 13, one hour 14. Yeah. And then you were due to run two weeks later in the World Half Marathon Championships in Copenhagen. Yeah. An incredible set of results an incredible load on the legs yeah yeah, i'm dying to hear about (laughs) the rationale behind it and how your body responded i only got asked to run for the world championships after barcelona okay so that was never in the rate that was never in the plan 
Barcelona was a target race. So that was like, you know, at Christmas time when I was planning my year out, a friend of mine had said Barcelona's a really fast half. You know, it's a really good one to do. They get good standard. Um, so I kind of had aimed, that was like a target one. So I did yeah. Watford just as kind of like a training run just to kind of get some pacing in the legs because there was no half marathons up in Scotland that had places left in them. Okay. I just wanted to get, you know, just wanted to practice, you know. Um, yeah. Watford, yeah, Watford's quite a hilly one, but it was great actually. I had a great time in Watford. Really, that at the time that was when I that was about a four minute PB I got in Watford, and it set me up perfectly for Barcelona. Actually, you know, I kind of knew I could push a little bit further, and Barcelona. I just had a great day, and it was really interesting. You mentioned that I came second. Yeah. And the lady that won it, she was exactly seven minutes to the second ahead of me, but she set a new world record. Wow, wow, so incredible. 12-12, and she did a 105-12. Now, she yeah. had all her, she was in South Africa, she was an African lady, I can't even remember her name, that's how bad I am at these things. And um, she had, like, everybody supporting her, and as Dave said, it was so funny watching her come in, and she had, like, a little group around her who were, like, protecting her and, you know, making sure that there was nothing in her way. And then I just rocked up in my yellow shorts, you know, seven minutes later, all on my own. You know? Sure, sure. But, uh, and then, uh, the, the, the cynic in me, uh, Nicola, has to ask, um, did that athlete, um, did she ever test positive? Um, is a world record still in place? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Dave said something a couple of years ago that he'd seen something about her, actually. So, um, yeah, yeah, I okay. think you could be right. <laughs> so, Barcelona never came knocking on your door anyway to, no, to give you the, no. the, the, the belated victory. I was just delighted, and it was actually really exciting yeah, sure. at the time at Barcelona to be around because it was, you know, there was so much media because this lady had just won, got a new world record. So, it was actually really exciting just to be around that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I really brilliant. enjoyed that. Inverness. The reason I had done Inverness was I had got an invite from it and it was a race you got a thousand pounds for if you won it. <laughs> wow, okay, great, yeah, yeah, a yeah, nice payday. Yeah, I mean, I've never got that kind of money for a race ever, so um, yeah. that was why I entered Inverness. And it was actually only about a week after Barcelona that Ireland mentioned about Copenhagen. Um, and I remember at the time thinking, yeah, it wasn't really in my plan. But we'll, you know, I'll, I'll do it, and I'd already committed to doing Inverness. So, yeah, in, in hindsight, it was absolutely madness. And I think um, Copenhagen was only two weeks before London Marathon, so yeah. we, I did have that decision at the time. You know, is it a bit too soon? Because London was obviously my the target race that I really wanted to do well in. Um, and I did it, and I tore my hamstring on the start line. Um, I'd had a bit of a niggle during the week and I thought it had settled but it obviously hadn't and it was awful like I literally tried to run maybe 500 meters and had to crawl back to the start line so yeah but but incredibly then two weeks later you got yeah. to the start line in London yeah and you absolutely smashed it there with yeah. the ninth quickest Irish marathon time of all time with two hours 33 yeah um, and a first place in terms of UK residency as well. And so just behind all the African runners, you were yeah. the first one home. Yeah. So I didn't have an elite start, um, but I was the first person in the non-elite start. And my elite, my time was actually better than a lot of the elite runners that were, had been running. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Incredible. And that just stayed, it just went perfect for you, did it? 
Well, actually, it's funny you say that. The call that had such a disaster with Copenhagen, the two weeks of running up to London were awful because I had to see the physio. I was trying to get my hamstring healed in time. Um, so I had a week where I didn't run at all and just cross-trained lots. And then on the Sunday before London, I managed to run where it didn't hurt. So then I started to think, okay, maybe maybe I can still do London. Um, but I ended up running a lot more the week before London just for my own confidence. So it was kind of like a pretty, pretty rubbish taper. So when I got to London, you know, yeah, I mean, I had been training for a sub 230. Um, but yeah, just with everything that happened, I was delighted with my 233. But it definitely wasn't the perfect race in lots of ways. Um, I knew I had a faster time in me. You know, okay. my 12 in Barcelona would have suggested that as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm sure everybody back home at the time would have noticed that incredible time. And yeah. you, I, I think you, you probably would have been the, the first, the top Irish ranked Irish marathon roadrunner at the time as well. Yeah. Right. But then if people were to Google your, your road and um, results, all of a sudden your road results stop after 2014. These incredible results in 2013, 2014. I remember Nicola back back then, like friends of mine in Raffarnham, in Rahini were telling me about this girl, Nicola Duncan, who was cleaning up everywhere. But then (laughs) you just just disappeared. Um, What happened? Injury. Injury on end. I had an awful time. I was meant to run for Ireland in the European Championships in August. So after London, you know, that was kind of my goal and I picked up a few niggles, but it was training away. I went to Portugal for 10 days training, which I had a really, really good training there, actually. And then I got back from Portugal on the Sunday and when I went for my run on the Monday, something just kind of clicked in my hamstring. It just didn't feel right. Um, And then I went to my intervals on the Tuesday and it just, yeah, just tore up. Um, So I never made it to... Um, Zurich for the Europeans which mentally was very very tough because after Copenhagen I really wanted to kind of get the chance to have an Irish fest again and you know and so that was really tough to take you know not even getting there and you know my family had booked flights over and obviously none of us went Um, and then I think I tried too hard to get back to where I was I just kept getting injured. I had two stress fractures in my in my heels, my calcaneal. I really wrecked my hamstring. The hamstring that I really wrecked took over a year, year and a half to fix. Surgery was suggested and everything. And in the end, shockwave therapy really helped. And then my hamstrings are great now. I have no issues with them at all. Really, wow. really lucky because they were such a mess. Um, I fractured my pelvis again. Um, so I just had an absolute nightmare for a few years. And yeah. then I decided, like, I just can't do this to myself anymore. I can't just keep, you know, just getting back to it, getting ready to do another marathon and then just getting another injury. So I was like, something has to change. I don't, I really love running and, and I love training, but I can't keep doing this to myself mentally because it was just, I was in such a dark place, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, and looking back now, Nicola, you know, a couple of years down the line, and maybe to close off this section of the interview, what's your overriding feelings looking back on those incredible years on one side with all those brilliant wins and marathon performances, 
but then the 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 hurt at the end of it all as well. How, yeah. how do you feel looking back at it all? I don't think it was worth it. Really? Wow. People say about my times and they say, gosh, that's amazing. You know, nobody can ever take those times away from you. And I don't really think, for me, past times are just past times. You know, you're only as good as your next event. You know, it's, um, so I don't really take the same pride in them that some people do. And people are always quite surprised at this. Like when I talk about my running, I, I very, very rarely mention any of my road times and my road races it's kind yeah. of you know, put it into a little box <laughs> yeah and and yes. i'm sure you won't mind me just sharing maybe a little bit of the conversation that we had in argentina at the yeah. trail Run world championships where this was before covid19 and yeah we were in still within the the tokyo marathon qualifying yeah. window and i remember you were telling me about your times and your past road performances and I remember asking you, um, yeah. would you be interested in in trying to go for a marathon time to qualify for the Olympics, which yeah. you, you would be capable of if you put yeah. your mind to it? And I remember you were saying to me, no, oh, no interest at all, that yeah. you were just happy out on the trails and on the mountains. Yeah, I think that's it. It's like, and when I when after I came back after that last injury, I said, I'm going to try something a bit different. You know, maybe I'll give this trail running Larky go and I got a pair of trail shoes and I was so rubbish because I'd never been on trails much you know and hills so I've always good going up the hills but anything technical I was a disaster the first time I went up Arthur's seat in Edinburgh I am my friend who was with me like had to hold my hand and some bits I was like crying I was so bad but I was like this is a new challenge you know you know if I practice this I get better on this and I actually quite enjoyed it. It was quite nice just exploring it. Um, and um, I kind of got the bug really quickly. Um, and then I did like a couple of local trail races. I mean, I wasn't even getting anywhere near the top of them at all because I was just getting back into it after like a couple of hard years. Yeah. And just after, it was kind of three and a half years ago, my mum actually, she passed away, which is very sad, very sudden. And I just decided I wanted to do an ultra. <laughs> and I entered the Connemara Thon, which was um, an ultra in Connemara, just because it was summer she really liked to run. Or so she really liked to walk with my dad. Um, and so suddenly I had a new goal on, but it wasn't like a time-focused one. It wasn't like, you know, doing London or Dublin and you want a time. It was just like, can I run 39.3 miles in the hills? And um, I did it. And I mean, yeah. I couldn't you know and I won it um but I just didn't expect it to at all it was very emotional and my dad came to the top of the last hill to cheer me on it was amazing and I kind of got the bug then and I was like that was a lot it was a lot more of an enjoyable experience than yeah and and you've been you've been winning ever since Nicola and you know class is permanent and that talent that people saw on the roads it might have maybe taken a year or two to come through in the mountains but once it came true and you've been picking up silverware ever since i saw a quote from you saying that you love the freedom of it and being outdoors and and nobody is asking you what your mile or kilometer splits are exactly i mean i only to give you a laugh so i used to have a garmin watch back when i was marathon training and then after my last injury, I just didn't bother. And I only actually got, you know, a GPS watch last September. So I was doing all of my running with no watch, no clue what pace I was going at. 
And the only reason I got the GPS watch was because I was starting to explore a lot more and I was always getting lost. <laughs> so uh, I got the watch so that I could kind of, you know, plan my routes and upload them. So to try and help me not get lost so much. Um, but there was something really nice about that. You know, I had no idea how fast I was going yet. It was just purely by feel. Um, and that seemed to work for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, great. And, and uh, you know, for, for people listening in, Nicola, um, as I said at the start of the interview, that last week you knocked out a 33-mile training run, no problem at all, to go and visit your friend. Yeah. Now you're pretty much injury-free. Yeah. You can keep on going. You've got this incredible engine. Um, yeah. What tips can you give to people who are training for ultras, training for trail races? Because I, I know you've got a whole set of um, special training activities that you do, yeah. ranging from, I don't know if you still do your hot vinyasa yoga to Pilates to strength and core work. What are the things that you're incorporating now into your training that enable you to keep going over 30 miles injury-free? You know, it's a really good question. And as I said, a lot of this has been kind of learned the hard way. You can't just run. You have to, like, especially as you get older, Owen, as well, you know, your body needs to, it needs support. Pilates has been massive for me. Because Pilates is all about strengthening the stabilizing muscles, you know, the muscles that support you when you run. And um, they're little muscles, and they're not even the ones you see. But if you strengthen them up, you move a lot better. A lot of mobility work. So Pilates was huge, definitely. For, especially, I had a lot of problems, kind of fracturing my pelvis and things, um, yeah. my hamstrings, my glutes weren't working. So kind yeah. of, um, I found as I got into the Pilates you know I, I learned about my body a lot more I could tell where it was weak where I need to work on it um, and I do a lot of kind of um, circuit style stuff outside I, I train with the group in Edinburgh called Race Fitness and um, I did a lot of obstacle course racing stuff with them and you know they're great fun but they actually make you a lot stronger and a lot more robust you know you're climbing over stuff you're climbing under things you know with jumping over stuff um, and that makes your body as a whole strong it's not just like your legs um, I look back at pictures of when I was just running and uh, road marathons you know when I was a little twiglet you know yeah <laughs> happened too Oh, yeah. I remember seeing some photographs um, just earlier on, Nicola, of you running back in 2013 and 2014. Yeah. And you can tell the difference, can't you? Yeah. Um, like you you had that kind up. of African, African lean look about you yeah. back then, where, where now you're a lot healthier and stronger yeah. running, yeah. but you can go further yeah. and longer, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's been a completely different mindset, you know, and it's a... Um, it makes you kind of want to explore and see new places. And, um, you know, when I did, when I did the London marathon, like I can, I can honestly tell you now, like the only bit I remember in detail was going over the bridge. That was at the halfway mark. That was quite cool. Um, but the rest of it, like it was just, you know, you weren't seeing anything. It was just buildings. And then yeah. I think when I like all the other run- runs I do now, and it's like, you just get to see such amazing stuff. It's great. Uh, you know, we were both in Patagonia last year for the World Mountain Championships. And I mean, everything about that was just stunning. Um, on the course I did, you know, we went to the very top of one mountain and there was snow on it still. You know, it was it was something else. So um, it just makes it a lot more interesting and it makes you appreciate just how beautiful the world we live in. You know? Yeah, sure. You, you mentioned your Pilates work. Um, would you do that? every week every day Nicola or how often do you do it or do you still do it 
So a few exercises I do every day, Owen, actually, um, some glute activation and mobility stuff, just five yeah. or 10 minutes when I get up in the morning. But I would do. Yeah. Well, I know. I know from looking at your Facebook feed, um, uh, if if you're out running or training, you tend to do this special pose. I think with your yeah. back leg up, <laughs> um, standing on one leg. Uh, that's that's probably a Pilates pose, is it? It's not. It's a yoga pose. And would you believe that's a complete joke? It started in Patagonia when I was out with um, Ian and Gav, and uh, we were like somewhere in one of these forests and there was amazing views and Gav said oh we should do a yoga pose here because he does a lot of yoga and uh it's not even a proper yoga pose it's like a pretty poor effort um at one but it's kind of stuck since then it's kind of turned into a joke so all of my friends in Edinburgh now they'll they'll do the pose and they'll tag me on it we're doing the Nicola pose <laughs> very very good but that's um, started, yeah in terms of nutrition Nicola any good tips that you can pass on because to be to be running thirty miles and training, um, yeah. you need to be fueled right, oh, and then you also need to recover right as well. So I presume your nutrition must be really on point. It's a, no, it's a, it's a really good question, and I've started working with Robbie Brishan actually, um, just over a year ago, and Robbie's been fantastic. You know, he's got so much experience, and he's really helped me. But you know, one of the things he's helped me with more than I would have expected is my nutrition and my fueling. You know, if I'm going out for a long run, you mentioned that 33-mile run I did last week. You know, you're not just fueling for the run you're doing, you're fueling for your recovery. So the better you eat on a training run that's long, the better you'll be able to go out the next day and go for a run. Like, I went out for a 16-mile run on the next day. Legs were a bit tired, but, you know, they weren't too bad, considering I had done a 33-mile run the day before. And a lot of that was down to the fact that I had, like, you know, fueled myself really well during the run um and i think yeah. that's massive you know it's and i think back when i was doing my marathon runs my long runs i wouldn't eat anything i wouldn't drink anything you know yeah and, sure yeah i ended yeah. up rip after one of my marathons one year because i was so dehydrated wow so, yeah. and i know you mentioned to me that um you found morton is very yeah. good the, right. the, the drink that um kipchoge used in a yeah. two-hour attempt um, and yeah. that, that's been very good for you it's been great, actually, because Robbie suggested it because, um, you know, sometimes I struggle, particularly when the weather's hot, to eat a lot of stuff. Um, and Morton has a huge amount of carbohydrates in it. Um, it's got the highest kind of proportion of carbohydrates in it that won't bother your stomach. And it's been it's been like a really revelation, actually. You know, if you can drink that, they have ones in different intensity as such so i always have the one that's the most intense um but yeah it's great it's really good stuff yeah really good stuff really yeah. Yeah. and i mean not only are you training hard Nicola, but i mean you work very hard as well i mean yeah. i know that you've got long work days and yeah. a lot of these training runs that you're doing you're getting yeah. up at five o'clock six o'clock in the morning um, and yeah. how do you manage to balance that because you know, a, a lot of people listening at home, I'm sure they're in the same boat. They're trying to combine work, family, friends with their training as well. How, how do you get your head around that? No, it's a really good question. And it's something I think that everybody probably struggles with on some level. And I think it's about figuring out what your priorities are. I'm probably considered very boring in lots of ways. <laughs> you know, my running is my social life. Um you know, I meet up, I go for a run with my friends and um, and that's what I would consider my social life. So I don't really go out, <laughs> you know, that's how I catch up with people. And I've got my dog, Senna, um, so I go for like long walks with him and I'll meet friends 
who and come for a walk with me. But I would say, you know, I go to bed early. I'm really boring. You know, I try and go to bed at nine every night, half nine at the latest. I read my book for a bit. And it's the only way you can, for me, you know, if you're working, and I do work long hours and I get most of my running done in the mornings during the week. Um, yeah. And I think it's the only way you can't do everything something has to give um and I'm, I'm quite healthy i don't get sick you know i'm touch wood i've got a good immune system and a lot of that is because like you know i prioritize going to bed early and things and i don't yeah. you know and i don't stay out late but and, and, and i know before you've spoken as well about in terms of mental strength that it's so important to have it very clear in your mind why you're training for a race or why you're doing a race yeah and i know that's something that you've worked on over the years as well and and, and you know exactly why you're training and why you're racing yeah exactly and it, that's really important mm. and i mean we all have days where we just i call it cba can't be arsed mm. when, you just, you know, <laughs> when you just don't feel like it and that's actually okay and sometimes you know if you really don't feel like it you know, just give yourself, you know, look at your plan, think, right, if I don't do this session, you know, can I jig things around and make have my rest day today and maybe do that session later in the week or can I swap a run? Because sometimes you just don't feel like doing an interval session. You might be a bit tired, a bit stressed out with work. Um, and actually, maybe it's not the best thing for you to go and push yourself in a, for intervals. So I can be quite flexible like that. And I think that's quite important because it's meant to be fun. It's what we do in our spare time. And I know as well that you have a special um, friend that you run for as well. Your friend Kat, who, who's a great inspiration for you. She is. Kat's amazing. So this is one of my running buddies, actually. And she had a really bad accident just exactly a year ago. And, and um, she came off her mountain bike in Mortine in France. And she... Um, She's now paralysed, so she uh, broke her back and her neck, and she's in a wheelchair. Um, and so some days when I can't be arsed, um, I just think, well, I'm so lucky I can actually go out for a run. You know, yeah. of can't. Um, and she's she's a wonderful person. She loves hearing about my runs, and she likes me to take photos where I am so she can see it. And, you know, one of my goals this year was to, um, I was fundraising for her, to get a bike for her to get out into the trails one of these super duper bikes uh bowhead but it's like massively expensive um and madeira the race i was supposed to be doing in april was a fundraiser for her but um i'm now planning to do um fkt attempt of the five okay. path so at the end of august hopefully yeah yeah so that's kind of when you you know when you're having days where you just don't feel like it just sorting out your why yeah and just thinking yeah 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 well it sounds like the the two of you are, are a great inspiration for each other yeah um, you, you mentioned 2019 was such a great year for you you, you were over in utmb as well yeah where a lot of irish runners are, are going over to you were 26th in the occ yeah. 47th in the world championships in patagonia with yeah. angela and becky quinn and the irish team and yeah. um, listen 2020 who knows what's going to happen racing wise but yeah. over the next couple of years Let's say we get back to normal, Nicola. Yeah. Um, what are your plans and, and objectives? Are you still as competitive as ever? You know, do you want to go back to UTMB and knock out a, I don't know, a top 10, move up in the world championship rankings, keep on cleaning up over in Scotland and maybe back home in Ireland as well? What are your thoughts on that? You know, they're really, and I think a lot of the things you mentioned are all of my goals. Um, 
I would like to do the full UTMB. That's probably going to be a couple of years away. I was supposed to do the CCC this year, which is the 100K one, um, which has been postponed till next year. Um, and I would like to do that. And I wouldn't like just to be making up numbers. I'd like to put in a good effort um, and, you know, get over there and train for it. I loved, I did the route over four days last year and it really inspired me. I was like, I would love to do this. And usually I quite like low key races, you know, where not like a big fuss and stuff. But I think that one is quite special. Um, I would like to do a lot more in Ireland as well. When I haven't done that many races yeah. in Ireland, um, and there's some fantastic stuff out there, you know. So that's that's been kind of one of my aims to, you know, do more of the races in the Irish scene. And I really enjoyed getting to meet all of the team in Patagonia, like yourself. Um, yeah. and, and that uh, was your first cup for Ireland, um, was it, Nicholas? Since the, um, the half marathon attempt, the trail one in Portugal that was in June. And then Patagonia was the second one. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So last year was a special year, you know, kind of six years on from everything that went wrong. And I finally got to get my cap and finish the race. <laughs> and to get your green jersey. Well, listen, Nicola, I, I've no doubt you're going to get many more um, Irish jerseys, Irish singlets over the next couple of years and, and many more podiums as well. Um, Nicola, it's been fascinating to, to chat to you. Um, you're the absolute personification of positivity, strength, goodwill and you know i'm sure so many people can can take so much from your experiences over the last couple of years and um, before we finish off nicola maybe a, a nice simple question for you something that we ask everybody um your favorite place to train what, what is it so that's a brilliant question so in edinburgh i love arthur's seat it's just you know it's about a mile and a half from my flat it's like has everything in it you know we say we have four seasons at Arthur's seat and we have all sorts of trails we've got the hills we've got the scrambly bits so whatever run you need if you want to do flat stuff if you want to do hilly stuff it's got everything um so i would say that's probably i've got lots of favorite places on this is really tough now. <laughs> sure and one last one then if i can your favorite piece of kit as you're running on these 30 mile training runs and running all over europe and um, well, yeah. what bit of kit do you love having nicola with you so that's another really good question so i've got two things depending if it's summer or winter so the winter my favorite thing is my montane gloves because my hands are always really cold so my sure. montane gloves keep my hands really toasty. They're amazing. And in the summer, I love my Goodor sunglasses. I've got them in four <laughs> colours. <laughs> I even got a pair with shamrocks on them that I got last year for the World Championships. They're brilliant. So, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, if there's any marketing people, uh, Nicola, <laughs> listening in, anybody that works for any sporting companies, sign this girl up. Uh, she would be an absolute credit to whatever brand you might have. Um, Nicola Duncan, may we wish you continued success over the next couple of years and look forward to seeing you racing for Ireland and in Ireland and all around the world, um, hitting the trails and getting on more and more podiums. Thank you so much, Owen, and lovely to chat to you. <laughs> yeah. All the best, Nicola. Take care. Take care now. Bye.